So what they did is before that, they sent their own spy in who added four lines of code to the software. So these four lines of code were then subsequently stolen by the KGB agent who came back to Russia, came back to the USSR at that point and said, you know, I've done a great job of nick this software. Um, here we go. Let's go and use it. And then a few days later, it blew up the pipeline. It was described as the most powerful non-nuclear explosion ever seen. Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by SoftCat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 30 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. So in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at supply chain attacks. We're going to be exploring the history, understanding how they impact organizations today, and understanding what's in store for the future. And with me to help is Adam Luca, who is SoftCat's Chief Technologist for Security. Adam, welcome back to the show again. So it's your second show in Series 2, so we've already had one interesting fact from you. Have you brought another interesting fact with you today? I have uh, dug through the archives and found an additional interesting fact about myself. So when I was about seven or eight, I had to have surgery on my leg because I had a bone growth. So essentially on my knee, my sort of knee was continuing growing and coming out to the side. So they sliced me open and uh, took basically a planer to the side of my leg and, and shaved the bone down. Wait, what? So you had an, like an extra bone growing out of your knee? Yeah, basically. Wow. Yeah. I use it as an excuse as why I'm not very good at sports, but I'm not sure that's the truth. Fair enough. Okay. And with us to help, we've also got Rob Hillier, who is a senior security consultant at XQ Cyber. Rob, welcome to the show. What is your interesting fact? In recent times, one of the most uh, silly things is that I managed to make the first headline on the RNLI website for a year when out kite surfing someone mistook my orange and green kite for a flare and called out the RNLI they launched the the boat a whole whole little search for this flare they came over to us in the boat and said um have you guys seen a flare no 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 we were on our way back in by this point 10 minutes later they come back what what color is your kite and uh yeah turns out someone on the beach had thought my bright orange kite was a flare and uh that made number one rescue of the year uh, for January RNLI News website. That is an awesome story. I like that. And listeners, I'm going to try and dig out that article and put it on the show notes because I think that's absolutely brilliant. Let's start from the beginning then. What exactly is a supply chain attack? So a supply chain attack is any attack that aims to damage an organization by targeting less secure elements in its network. So by definition, the supply chain or other elements that maybe aren't in the, in the kind of the central hub of the organization. Yeah, 100%. So I guess anything that feeds into or feeds out from your organization. It's really interesting. So supply chain attacks have been around for a long time in various different guises. So I think when people think about supply chain attacks, they think about them as a very modern sort of concept. But actually, they have a long drawn out history. They were used in war to to starve out enemies why would you fight an army of, of people directly when you could go and attack their food source um if we think about sieges sieges are one of the really obvious example of a supply chain attack if you can put your army around a castle and stop them getting their food in and keep them inside you cut off their supply chain all of a sudden people start to starve and uh, very quickly their will um, falters and they put the white flag out and surrender surrender so why would you knock down the castle which you know is impossible you know you you know it's a very difficult task actually it's very easy then to attack that supply chain um if we sort of wind forward to more modern times uh, a really great example which i really really like is uh in the height of the cold war in 82 
um, the KGB had gone to steal some um, some management software. So for their new gas pipeline that they were building, the Trans-Siberian Gas Pipeline. So they decided, okay, we're going to do this really clever idea. We're going to send an agent. We're going to send a Russian KGB agent to this Canadian company. Um, and we're going to get him to get a job. And then we're going to nick this this software and we're going to take it back to Russia and use it. So what happened was the CIA found out about this, that the KGB was going to Canada to implant a person. And they decided they would double cross them. So what they did is before that, they sent their own spy in who added four lines of code to the software. So these four lines of code were then subsequently stolen by the KGB agent who came back to Russia, came back to the USSR at that point and said, you know, I've done a great job of Nick this software. Um, here we go. Let's go and use it. And then a few days later, it blew up the pipeline. <gasps> it was described as the most powerful explosion non-nuclear explosion ever seen oh my goodness yeah so it was it was pretty serious um and it was you know achieved without a single missile or a bomb this you know. canadian company in the middle of nowhere must have been like wow these people want to start joining our company we well, must be. <laughs> you know the people aspect of, of supply chain is, is is a very weak element yeah um what's really for me very interesting is even though it went pretty badly for the kgb they actually um they actually decided that this was a great thing to continue doing. So during the 70s and 80s, they, there was a, a department called Line X, which had 200 agents working for it. And, you know, in 10 different KGB, st- KGB stations in Western countries. So these are USSR KGB agents in Western countries. And what they were doing was they were stealing um, metal parts, software, blueprints, documents, radar systems, computer systems, semiconductors. So they're stealing all this intellectual property and they were taking it back to the USSR and they were they were using it to advance their own uh, technical prowess without having to do any of the work. So um, it is amazing to see the history in these types of attacks. And I think when people think about this, they, they generally see it as a pretty modern uh, problem, but it's, it's something that's been going on for, for, for many years. As an area of um, of digital uh, of the digital world, it's quite a complex one. So when you look at supply chain, there are organisations which you uh, take software from and you trust them. Um, there are kind of a few different kind of branches to it. I see there are those that you have no relationship with um, in the supply chain. Quite often, uh, as the the historical supply chain goes, you've normally got a contractual relationship with an organisation. In the digital world, you can download Seven Zip and install it on your workstations you don't have a contractual relationship with them. So you've got a, le- a lot less control over it. Actually, there's quite a lot more complexity to the digital supply chain than the actual physical one where you receive a box. And then the other parts of the supply chain are in a digital world, quite often you give out your IP to a third party organization. So we've seen supply chain attacks which were targeting organizations to, to steal their IP or their client database, um, like the Paradise attacks, where it wasn't an attack against the organization to try and get into the network they wanted the data and as that was being given out to a third party you know that was actually a really key part of the supply chain is where you're storing your ip rather than taking software off of them it's what you're giving them from your your key organizational side yeah and i think that's that's really interesting isn't it i guess when we consider supply chain it's a bi-directional relationship now rather than a just a supplier relationship um you know even take softcat for example we use external agencies for various different functions as you would expect you know marketing we have external agencies there and you, you consider the types of data we we potentially share with those organizations and the ability to need to understand actually the competence of those organizations to handle that data effectively to process it effectively into storage effectively as ultimately 
there is a transfer of risk there and there is a transfer of responsibility um and while the breach might not directly be yours the perception from customers markets and regulators could still see that actually fall back on your doors rather than the supplier itself so why do attackers attack the supply chain is it is an easier thing to do from my perspective there's two sides to this there is the easiness side so how difficult it is to attack potentially the intended recipient or intended target so if you take a large organization for example actually you know very mature cybersecurity defenses you know right process policy and procedure and technology it may actually be pretty difficult to to, to attack that organization now looking at who their suppliers are and looking at who they send data to but also who they receive data from and, and services from you might be able to identify weak links in the chain that enable you to have a much softer target that you can gain access to so that there's very much that side which i think is the obvious one i think the other side is also scale a reason to attack a supply chain is that one single supplier will supply many many hundreds or thousands or even millions of of different organizations so in the example of software libraries you know this is a really good way of of getting potentially large amounts of malware or actually large amounts of uh, access or or potentially crypto mining is another example we covered that last season as a reminder crypto mining is a, a small piece of software that allows you to generate cryptocurrencies by stealing the cpu cycles on your computer now, if you imagine that scenario, you know, you're a bad guy, you're sitting here going, okay, I really want to get lots of crypto miners out there. Well, a really, really slow way of doing that would be trying to target each individual person individually. Yes, you'd be successful, and but actually it wouldn't get you to scale very quickly. Now, you think about a much more effective way of doing that is taking something like 7-Zip or something like WinZip or something that everyone kind of uses, VLC, media player, and actually hacking VLC or hacking 7-Zip or hacking one of these types of companies embedding your malware in their piece of technology and now you think about the millions of people every day who download vlc who download those types of software and all of a sudden from one single attack you've managed to pull off you've managed to impact a far greater amount of targets so that's kind of a very much an amplification effect of your effort versus your return let's switch focus a little bit then to um to organizations to many of our listeners what can an organization do to protect themselves against supply chain attacks you need to understand who you are and who's likely to be attacking you. And therefore, you know, you need to understand if you are likely to be a target or if you are probably more likely to be in the collateral damage phase or actually just being caught up in mass. If you're in the latter category, so you're sort of non-targeted, you've got to consider, number one, who are you getting your software from? You know, are they reputable? Do you have any mechanisms to check that software? And again, your ability to check that will be dependent on your technical skill but also the tooling you have in place. There are a number of tools out there that will allow you to perform static and dynamic analysis. So static code analysis is where you look at the source code. So where the, the technology or whatever you're using is open source. So that's where the source is readable. You can use these static analysis tools to look at the source and actually look at it and go, okay, is there anything in there? Is there anything that, that potentially looks malicious and identify that? Dynamic analysis is whereby you don't need the source code, it's already compiled, so you've now got the executable of the end unit, and you emulate it, so you run that software and you look to see what it does. So sandboxing is, a, is an example of, of dynamic analysis. And what you're doing there is you're looking for behaviors that the, the executable or the application performs 
and you're looking to see okay is that behavior potentially malicious so it's an indicator of compromise or an indicator of malicious intent they're your two kind of main strategies for doing this and then the next thing is whether you're going to do it pre-execution or post-execution and what that means is whether you're going to do your analysis before anything's actually tried to run it that's where typically you'll be using signatures or you'll be using various other techniques to identify known bads or certain characteristics that can be seen before execution so actually file sizes certain um, header information inside the executable header to actually say okay this looks like a bad executable let's detect that on the other side You've got the post-execution stuff, which is much more behavioral and heuristic, that is then looking to see, actually, once this executable has done something, has it gone to speak out to a third-party server? Is it trying to pull my CPU cycles? Has it started encrypting all my files? Is it trying to escalate privileges? Is it trying to do something that, that would be very unusual for a reasonable or authentic executable to do? That's that side. So that's very much testing and, and looking after the stuff that you're pulling in. The second side, I guess, is much more to do with um, teaching your users about where they get their software from. So that, that security awareness piece and also about where they put their data to. So this is now less of the inbound, more of the outbound. If you're going to be sharing with a third party, what validation have you done that they are going to treat your data securely? How do you understand the risks and their approach to cybersecurity? One of the things we're trying to get our customers to think about more regularly is, is testing their supply chain. So if you're going to be sending sensitive information out, you know, how well do you understand the competence of that organization? Surely, I mean, GDPR must have an impact on that. That must have helped to spur that on a little bit. Mm, I think to some extent, as always, changes in regulation bring certain things to sort of the forefront of the mind. And I think people are doing a much better job of identifying where data is flowing to. So they're getting a better job of looking at how data is being processed and how it's being used. I don't always think that ties back to a technical security analysis. Yeah, and that's that's an area where it, it's quite key. Also, GDPR, as you, you touched on, is all focused on personal information. That is the whole aspect of it. An organization holds more sensitive data than just personal information. It, it has, uh, especially in the manufacturing industry, it has designs uh, and various sorts of IP, which wouldn't be covered in, under GDPR because they're, they're not a part of that concern. It's helped to highlight and bring that, that to mind, but by no means a silver bullet to try and help people. This is one of the things that CyberScore, which is the tool for Execute Cyber, is looking to help address is actually giving people visibility of the technical controls inside their supply chain. What it lets you do is have an organization that is supplying to you run a scan of their network for common vulnerabilities, default credentials, things like that. And it won't ever tell you their vulnerabilities because that's quite sensitive to them as an organization, but it will give you an overall score, which you can then compare to the kind of market or sector equivalent, or you can just decide a score that, that suits you for that supplier. So it's a score between one and 10, and that gives you an unbiased technical view of their network. The real challenge still about that is scope. So what do you class as scope for an organization when you start to do technical audits of them? The same thing happens within more mature supplier relationships where banks and other parts actually send pen test teams in to test certain parts of the organization where their data is being held. It's still a question of understanding scope and the network that is being held on and indeed the onward supply chain. The other thing I guess is also is some of the real basics. Number one, do you know who your suppliers are and what your supply chain is. It's really hard, if I'm honest, to understand absolutely every part of your supply chain. Even if you are a very mature organization and you think you've got to handle it a little bit, there's always, always, always little bits 
that you can't capture. It, it is an incredibly complex ecosystem out there. So I think you do have to be pragmatic, but you have to identify where the risks are and take a risk-based approach. So who are your critical and key suppliers? What data are you moving to them that is sensitive? And what onward access to these suppliers have? Um, one of the, the areas I think a lot of people can improve on that I would I would love to see people take a bit of initiative around is, is around managing onward access for remote suppliers. So the number of customers I still go into today who say, okay, well, we have this managed services contract, we have this supply contract, we have this and this and that. And the access controls they give those people are so broad that actually, you know, you could, they, could, they, they can get onto their network and just see everything. But yet they're only they're only managing one single system. And you just think you're just you're exposing yourself to loads of risk for really minimal value. We're trying to take customers towards a place whereby it, you have an identity-driven security model. So you know you're taking the network back to being an untrusted untrusted zone, and it's just a transit mechanism. So being able to actually identify where where a supplier needs to access and only give them just enough access is really going to help you mitigate potentially any issues that come from that particular angle. And I just think it's something that we can all do relatively easily that would give quite a significant uh, amount of value back. You know, if you were target and you'd done that, potentially you've saved yourself $76 million, which was the cost to remediate that 40 million uh, cards that were breached, you know, and, and cause their share price to drop 46%. So something really simple can have really quite a, a big impact yeah i completely agree with you i think as with all elements of security the basics getting them right is key in all the places i see actually i'm quite endlessly surprised at not to the digital level of what's installed on systems i've gone to places which have been large organizations with tens of thousands of devices and gone okay can you tell me what device this user has or can you actually tell me all of the devices that connect to your network that you are meant to be in control of? There's a big challenge there that we need to kind of get over time. And I think it is getting better. But in, in the digital wiki system, understanding what is installed on our systems, where they update from, where all of the servers come from and where our network links go out to, I think there's a, a base level of understanding about your environment, which is sometimes missing in organizations. And it's absolutely key. You can't build defense in depth unless you actually understand what you're trying to protect and where your threats are. So if you could give a top five things that organizations should be considering and should do, what would be your top five? Number one, you've got to identify who is in your supply chain and what risk they pose to you. So understanding what data you're pushing to those organizations, but also understanding what you're receiving from those organizations. So just getting an inventory of, of where your data is flowing in and out to is really important. Uh, I'd say number two would probably be setting minimum standards. Um, so understanding, especially for those that you give out your IP to, a minimum standard for the, how they hold that data, how they look after it, uh, and the network that they put that data into. Um, but also, if you're letting them connect back into your network, what standards have they got to prevent themselves being compromised and using that as a conduit into your organization? So that would be a mixture of technical audit and also of um, process controls and documentation. Yeah, I think number three expands on that point. So uh, network segmentation. So slicing your network up into various smaller units that allows you to restrict the amount of access people are given to just the amount needed. Um, network segmentation is not a simple thing, but it is something that organizations can start to do to, to go from sort of one big flat network, even just down to two or three segments can have a, a big impact in your risk. Um, 
maybe number four would be around actually being able to detect malicious activity. So if you've got your network segmented, brilliant. Um, you've actually got to notice someone jumping between the two trust segments to say, is that person meant to be doing it? Is it not? Uh, as well as other heuristic um, kind of controls. So, you know, are they accessing known bad websites? Um, so a lot of lists are maintained about malware, com commodity malware, where it calls back to. And having that kind of detection, what, what are your users on your network actually talking to on the internet uh, and being able to respond to that information? Lastly, for me, I think if you perform development, whether that's in-house development where you are maybe building parts onto your website or, or building full-blown applications, understanding where your libraries are coming from, so where you're pulling code in from, but also the packages that you're using, so you understand the um, legitimacy and authenticity of that information that's coming in. Um, but also I think where you don't run that internally, maintaining standards for third-party development companies to use a little bit like the, the second point we made so maintaining that expectation of your supply chain to act in your best interest and to minimize risk where possible so let's talk about the future then so where do we see this going from my perspective i can't see supply chain attacks going away um, they're too effective for attackers they give them too much scale or they allow them to hide the targets of their attack too effectively. What I do expect to, expect to see is that organizations will become much more aware of these types of attacks and will take measures to identify them and to detect these, uh, these attackers as they use this mechanism to obtain access onto their network. I think user awareness will increase and we will move to a less trusting position as users move away from expecting things that they get from the internet to be positive for them. So actually people will perform more due diligence before they potentially download software onto their phone. And I expect to see the providers of those software increase the controls around stopping what applications can do by default. I think we've previously had a very open system and we're now going to move to an environment where everything will be much more closed and actually you will have to request access to do anything uh, additional. I think we're already seeing that with the permissions models that are coming in on Android phones. iOS already has a very strong sandboxed approach in terms of how applications can interact with each other. We're seeing that very much come onto the Windows operating system with the, the Windows Store, but various other app whitelisting techniques. And that's all due to supply chain attacks. That's all due to the fact that attacks are coming down via these mechanisms. Uh, yeah, I do think they're going to evolve and grow. Um, I think actually what we might see is a slight change of who's able to and who's targeting these kind of attacks in terms of, of doing them. So whilst historically it's been a high-level nation-state or very high-level organised crime, the accessibility is going to carry on moving down and be more targeted towards the, the lower script kiddie kind of level of, of organisations. They'll see if they can compromise one part, can they then spin it out into being more? So I think we've seen that historically as as attacks mature, the, the audience that can leverage them also changes. I don't think the, the top level actors are ever going to stop because I think it's just such a, a key way of getting into organisations without those defences. I think there's a, there's a few bits that organisations probably can do and will do. So rather than just auditing uh, supply chains based off of questionnaires, but um, actually having more apparent and technical controls, um, so be that CyberScore or other ways of looking at getting an unbiased review of the technical state of a network uh, and its scope. Maybe we'll even get something like uh, an Experian for cybersecurity in your supply chain where actually you have one audit that you do in detail of your organization uh, on a fairly regular basis and other companies can request to see, you know, what is your cybersecurity status? That I think would be an ideal. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I think that 
there's definitely room for for that level of approach within the supply chain to give assurance that actually it's not just a questionnaire it's not just technical controls but it's it's someone who's come in looked at the scope looked at the technical controls and and reviewed them and um as adam touched on the the controls within the network so i think uh, operating systems are ever evolving to have less trust in what's in what's installed on them there's a few different ways there that we're going to see some changes in the future and in terms of supply chain attacks i don't think they're going away it's a case of defending against them uh, and doing your best to to make yourself the most expensive target for your attacker. I think when we talk about the, the attacker's mentality, no matter what level of attack you're talking about, you can make it as costly as possible to them by having a, a defense in depth. So auditing your supply chain, creating your network in the most secure po- way possible, making sure if your software is up to date. Each of these increases the cost for a skilled attacker, even a nation state. If they've got to use a zero-day attack that they've developed, as soon as they've used it, they don't know if it's then compromised. They don't know if you've sent it onto a, a third party, your own nation state or an AV vendor. So for them to actually consider using these attacks, there's got to be a worthwhile prize at the end of the game. The harder you make it to attack yourself, the better your position will be. And I think that's going to be very important uh, around the whole supply chain side of things. So making yourself that higher level target so that hopefully the people who want your stuff are not going to be willing to pay the price for it in terms of risk. Okay, so uh, to summarize... So a supply chain attack is any attack that damages an organization by targeting a less protected part of it. Supply chain attacks aren't going away. They amplify the effect attackers have and the cost required to compromise a target. And ultimately, they're going to drop from the tool bag of nation state and high level actors into more of your typical threat actors that most of us would expect to see day to day as businesses. And as organizations, when we're trying to to look to defend against these, it's all going to be about a defense in depth. Uh, we talked to five kind of key elements that we can add depth to. Uh, one is a really key part, identifying what we've got. The second of them was setting some minimum standards for our supply chain, what we expect of them. Third, network segmentation, making sure we, we split the network well. Fourth one of these, detecting activity. So what's going on on your network? There's no point having the best controls if you don't actually notice when they're alerting you. And then the fifth, which is more if you're a development organization, is is really being cognizant of of what makes up your development tool chain, where you're pulling in software from, and how trusted that is. Adam Rob, thanks for coming into the show and uh, for giving up your time to talk to us about supply chain attacks. Listeners, if there's anything in this show that has been of interest, or if you'd like to talk to someone at Softcat about anything in this episode, do check out the show notes. We'll also include some links to some of the stuff that we talked about today. Please also make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and we'll be delivering the next episode to your device as soon as it lands. So thank you very much for listening to Explain It from Softcat.